Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. Um, we are in the beginning of the 17th century, and we are in a bit of a transition where we are reflecting into just not the great Christian thinkers as we have been talking about them in the context of the doctors of the church per se, but for the beginning of the 17th century, um, we have decided to take a few weeks to engage what's going on in the, the life and thought uh, both inside and outside the church. So last week we engaged the relationship between church and science, focusing in on uh, the Galileo issue. And today I thought it would be important to really appreciate what's going on at the dawn of modernity, and by that we mean the age from 1650 to roughly 1900. And I thought we could best do that by engaging these two great Frenchmen, uh, and great by historical standards, if you will, René Descartes and Blaise Pascal. Okay, so these are going to be the two figures we're going to talk about today, so as to appreciate um, the importance of the relationship between faith and reason. So um, with that, I, I would like to welcome my Monday evening guest, John O'Hare. John, great to have you with me another evening. Always great to be here with you, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I, I told myself I was not going to talk about the very boring Super Bowl yesterday, John, but <laughs> I guess... It wasn't I, that boring. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. But. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. I guess by mentioning it, I've already talked about it too much. <laughs> I guess if you're a Broncos fan, it was a great Super Bowl. Anyhow, so John, when... The clock hit 12 a.m. in the year 1600. There was a three-year-old boy by the name of René Descartes that would arguably define that century as uh, the century of reason. If we speak to the Enlightenment period from 1650 to, to 1900, well, it is also known as the age of reason. Now, as we know, John, <laughs> reason alone is hailed uh, by many to be well, we could say the splendor of our species, right? We condemn its horrors, but only on the basis of its glories. And very few textbooks in the history of philosophy would deny uh, the figure Descartes to be uh, the quintessential man of the 17th century, and of course the title founding father of modern philosophy. And why? Well, precisely because of his systematic methodical elevation of reason. Why? Well, as many of us know, Descartes' method for rational inquiry, based on consistently held doubt toward all doctrinaire assumptions of the human mind, is usually seen as modernity's decisive breakout from what we could call, John, the, the, the fettering chains of, of the medieval synthesis of faith and reason. And this was seen to be a burden <laughs> for, for the people during that time. And to Descartes, reason was now looked as kind of this fully adult faculty, if you will, and no longer bound to the tutelage of, of dogma and tradition. You know, dogma and tradition get in the way of our freedom, you see. So it is to Descartes that above all, uh, we owe the idea of rationality as an all-purpose, oh, we could say acid, <laughs> uh, through which every tenaciously held belief of the human mind must pass. 
And John, it is in this setting that we have the figure of Blaise Pascal. Pascal was a deeply uh, private man who rarely mentioned even the most important biographical milestones that determined his career. Now, what's interesting about this figure, John, is it is only because he sewed a parchment memorial of the event inside his coat pocket that history knows of the most important incident in his life, his night of fire on November 23rd, 1654, when for about two hours, he was overwhelmed by tears of joy at the realization that the God of the philosophers was not the God of the Bible. And have we not seen that before? Did we not see this in St. Justin? Did we not see this in St. Augustine? All throughout the great Christian thinkers, we have seen this overwhelming sense of, wow, the God of the philosophers is not the God of the Bible. This night this, of fire. This night of fire, a very important event in the life of Pascal. It happened on Monday, November the 23rd, 1654. That's the night of fire, and he was 31 years old at the time. And this is what he sewed into his coat pocket. This is heavy philosophy, listeners, so listen up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars. Certainty, certainty, heartfelt, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, God of Jesus Christ, joy, 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 tears of joy. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Mm. That's it. That's it. Yeah, those were the most important words this great mind of ours read. I mean, uh, you know, wrote. Yeah, and isn't that striking, John? Yes. (laughs) They're not words from, say, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Cicero, or, or any of those guys that we've talked about in the past. No. But these soundbite utterances of joy, (laughs) as he himself said, the the joy that comes with discovering the revelation of truth. Pascal was a master of epigram and condensation. Mm. That was, when you read Pascal, the Mm. Ponsays, I don't know if my French is a little bit... Ponsays is Ponsays, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, They're difficult to read. If you go to Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil, he's got about... I think maybe five chapters there. I think chapter number three is just a series of sayings. I mean, it's like reading a bunch of Chinese fortune cookies. And I mean, they're brilliant. (laughs) But if you ask yourself, okay, what's the main thought of chapter three? You'd be, you know, I don't know. There's no such thing, really. They're brilliant. (laughs) They're all over the place, but they're brilliant. And in a way, Pascal wrote like that. And I mean, it's really tremendous. So Mm -hmm. when you read the Ponsays, it's almost like reading a poem. I mean, it's epigram after epigram. And I mean, they are absolutely brilliant. Descartes, he was going to get into rational philosophy? No. He got into the scientific method. Mm-hmm. He tried to make the philosophy uh, conform to the scientific method, because he was a scientist as well as being a philosopher, yes. and they don't work. Yeah. If you want to find out about the material world, the scientific method is the best method we know so far. If you want to get into philosophy, it's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you mm-hmm. cannot find the way to run a correct state by the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, But Pascal, he realized this, and it was his feeling that Atheism, if you want to call it that, because it was kind of just beginning, was really more about one's ego than about really trying to find truth. Well, and as we've talked about it already, John, on this program, can we not say that about atheism today? You know, the unwillingness to look at self in the name of pride. And certainly 
Pascal gets into pride, pride as that agent which doesn't allow us to, to see as we ought. John, what other biographical pieces uh, should we be considering when it comes to Pascal? Well, he was born in 1623 in France, south of Paris, and his mother died when he was three years old. That's tough. And his father, Etienne, brought him up. Oh, and by the way, there, there was three. There was two girls and, and Blaise Pascal. I think Blaise was in the middle, and the two girls were on either side of him. Shortly after the mother's death, Etienne moved the family to Paris, and he worked for the government. And after he was in Paris for about eight or so years, he made peace with Cardinal Richelieu over a taxing policy. I have no idea what that was about. And for that, he got a promotion to Rouen, and he moved his family to Rouen, and that was where they brought up. That would be in Normandy, up in mm-hmm. northern France. The older sister married, and it was with that older sister that Blaise Pascal died at the age of 39. The younger sister, Jacqueline, got quite interested in the convent, and she became a nun. And Blaise was quite well educated at age 12. He knew 32, uh, Euclid's 32 major principles. That's pretty good at, at that young age. Yeah. And then he went on into both science and into philosophy. He was a bright guy. And he went into writing, and I think his first notoriety came in the area of science. That, that, that's how he got his name in print. He, he wasn't as much of a loner as, as Descartes. Descartes was, I think, really kind of a loner. I think Descartes mm-hmm. lived in for 21 years, at least in Netherlands, alone, and worked a little bit here and a little bit there. Pascal was out a little bit more in society. He, I mean, he was always a Catholic, but at one point he became a rather well-known in society, primarily because of some scientific writings, although these other writings also got published. And he went to some parties, and then he had this night of the fires, as he said, and uh, that was the end of that. He was mm-hmm. just uh, quite religious from there on. Yeah. So what is going on in, in their thought as it relates to, um, yes, Pascal, but also Descartes? You know, both Frenchmen saw human beings as this riddling composition of, in philosophical languages, antithetical essences, which in more ordinary language, John, is body and mind, flesh and spirit, um, extension and thinking. And Pascal differs from Descartes' rationalism, however, in the explicitly theological implications he will try to draw out from uh, this anthropology. And we, we should rightfully say Christian anthropology. And before we go any further, we ought to define theology for our listeners, John, as we talk about this. Theology, in its simplest definition, again, is uh, fides corns intellectum, faith, seeking, understanding. So after this interior conversion of Pascal, he would now inquire um, from a new vantage point into anthropology. And uh, this was very important to this kind of juxtaposition between body and soul, flesh and spirit, extension and thinking. So he is alert, as Descartes rarely is, to the religious and ethical implications of this dualism of mind and body. You mentioned faith-seeking understanding, going back to, I think, St. Anselm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is, remember, it's faith has to come first. You cannot get there by understanding, seeking faith. And that's what Descartes tried to do, and that was his mistake. You mentioned anthropology. Could you tell me, because I'm not sure, what is Christian anthropology? I mean, we're not studying cavemans. No, well, yeah, that, so. that's, you know, that's an important question, John, because <laughs> when we hear the word anthropology, that's what we think about. You know, the caveman. We think about the Neanderthal man, Cro-Magnon man. We think of of the Jurassic Age, right? But G.K. Chesterton makes the point in his work, The Everlasting Man. If you want to have a better understanding what anthropology is all about, go to the first caveman. 
And that, of course, being the person of Jesus Christ who was born in a cave. And he says that so as to emphasize our understanding of anthropology, just not as Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, and so on, but body and soul. So it's just not about the physical evolution of man, right? It's about the evolution of man in light of the unity of body and soul. So I say Christian anthropology, as others have, to emphasize that really anthropology in of itself is the study of the unity of body and soul. Uh So very, very important. I always lean into the analogy that comes to us from a reflection into the sacramentality of our bodies, John. Um, What do I mean? Well, we manifest in our bodies what initially is unseen. So if we are experiencing the emotion of, say, happiness, how do you see that? Well, we are laughing or smiling, or you, you, you see that in the language of our body. Or maybe we are sad. How does that manifest itself in the body? Well, tears. Maybe you're embarrassed. How does that manifest itself in the body? Well, red cheeks. You see, there is a sacramentality to our body, John, that reveals the unity of body and soul. So uh, very important. And this is something, once again, that Juan Blaise Pascal would have us appreciate because he's wanting us to understand that you can never divorce the two (laughs) um, from each other. So in Pascal's work, The Thinking Read, and I think we should get into this, John, maybe his most, uh, if not the Penzais, his most famous uh, work, he asserts, and this is to get to the heart of Pascal, that it is not in space that I must look for my dignity, as Descartes did, but in the organization of thought, right? You know, through space, the universe grasps and, and engulfs me like a pinpoint, but through thought, I can grasp the significance of that. So a dignity consists, therefore, in thought. Very important to Pascal. And it is from there, for Pascal, that we must be lifted up and not from space and time, which we could never fill. So he says, let us work on thinking well. Let us work on living well. Um, And he talks about all of this so that we might come to grasp our need for Christ, that Mm. we need to grasp our need for Christ. Because if we reduce ourselves to just the thinking person autonomous from a moral being, Well, then we have a problem, John. They certainly do. Humility is a part of the pensées. He he talks about salvation and sin. Some people doubted if salvation was possible, Mm -hmm. but then sin is a big part of our modern problem, which he addressed way, way, way back, because nowadays there is no sin. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, radical feminism, go through the list of things that we're going through right now. There's no sin. Mm -hmm. You know, we follow our freedom. Wait a minute. That freedom leads to kind of moral chaos, yep, and yep. and the results of that we see in our society today, and mm-hmm. have seen it for for, for for several decades. Yep, and he and he knew this way back then. Yeah, what's really interesting, John, is that we did not know until after Pascal died, <laughs> his efforts in communicating this for apologetic reasons. He was wanting to defend faith and reason, so that we might go deeper in our inquiry of who we are before God. This is really interesting, John, because apologetics has a tendency, and I think we've touched upon this before, to become this point-counterpoint. 
punch, counterpunch. And we keep the discussion at arm's distance. And by that, I mean, we don't allow the conversation to grow organically. We don't really address the importance of the human person in the conversation. It's just a bunch of information to debate. Yeah. This is not what uh, Blaise Pascal was about. In point of fact, he wants to engage uh, the person like Descartes for apologetic reasons. Yes, but what we are made to see in this is that apologetics in of itself, while yes, it, it is a discipline to respond to a question, to answer a, a difficult question, should always be organic. It should always, John, come back to the question of sin and grace and our need for Jesus Christ. Exactly. See, I think he makes the point that it isn't the words the apologist uses, it's the life of the apologist that convinces yeah. you. Yes. Well, and he echoes so many of the great Christian thinkers that we have already talked about there, for sure. Um, so, in the context of what is being talked about, what is being shared, Blaise Pascal does uh, want us to see the importance of confronting our sin. You know, we need to look at our inquiry as a moral act, right? Yeah. And that, as such, it has a direct tie to the relationship between sin and grace. Peter Kreeft makes three points about uh, Blaise Pascal's apologetics. Mm. And he says, Pascal shows that Christianity is, number one, psychologically respectable because it understands the truth about man. Two, psychologically attractive because it promises true happiness for the good of man. And objectively true because it tells us the truth about God, which is the point of traditional apologetics. And I think about that, I think, you know, that, that kind of gets to the nub of what apologetics truly is. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it tells us about us, tells us about how God really knows us. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I found there, you know, I find it simple, but it's also deep. Yeah, and what are we made to see here, John? Apologetics as a discipline where we are defending our faith, something that is defensible, is really a conversation about revealed truth, which, oh, by the way, <laughs> is something that always points to what Jesus starts first. What yeah. do we read, John, in um, Revelation 3.20? Jesus is knocking on the door of our heart. Huh? Mm -hmm. God is the one initiating. God is the one stirring. We are made to cooperate in what God has already started in our heart. So when we inquire, when we ask, when we um, offer up a question about uh, the Christian and Catholic faith, that in of itself, if it is genuine, is something that Jesus initiated. And therefore, John, is an act of grace, is a moment of grace for us. So we are sharing in this grace. Yeah. This is why every apologetic encounter over the last 2,000 years is made to be seen as um, an encounter of grace. He has Ponce number 91, very short. One must have deeper motives and judge everything accordingly, but go on talking like an ordinary person. There you go. Mm -hmm. Humility. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. he has this one, which, this is number 130. If he exalts himself, I humble him, the I being Jesus Christ. If he humbles himself, I exalt him. If I go on contradicting him until he understands, that is as a monster that passes all understanding. I only imperfectly understand that. But Jesus... If you think you're great, he'll humble you. If mm -hmm. you think you're humble, he's going to exalt you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I contradict him until you, the person Jesus Christ is talking to, understands yourself and sees that he's not a monster, but mm -hmm. 
But actually, you as a human being made in my image and likeness, Mr. Man, yes, yes. you surpass all understanding. Yes, yes. And what's interesting here, too, John, is that Pascal does not want to force his readers to wallow in, in misery, right? We talk no, about, yeah. you know, the, the confrontation of our sin and whatnot. His depiction of the human condition is meant only to create the first opening through which we hear God's response to that misery. But if we do not admit the realities of the human condition and all their bleakness, well, what is going to happen? <laughs> what is going to happen? But we're going to wallow in misery. Yeah. Um, and this is why Pascal would want to introduce, reintroduce for some back then, the other great crossbeam and girder, and that is faith. Yes. <laughs> back into the discussion, because one of the things that uh, really spawned the Enlightenment era in the Age of Reason, and kind of what we touched upon in opening, John, is that faith was being uh, removed from the new synthesis, yes. right? It wasn't faith and reason, but experience and reason. Faith was being drowned out, and so he was bringing faith back into it, but making the point, too, that reason in of itself points back to faith, mm-hmm. right? Yes. That belief in the existence of God is a rational expression, not that we, for that reason, abide more in reason. No, no, but we are made to see that faith in of itself is actually a rational thing. It is a gift, and it is an act. Yes, both, but something that even rationally speaking, uh, we can speak to and have a coherent conversation about. (laughs) Every religion has to have an act of faith. Atheism and agnosticism is as much a religion as Buddhism or Christianity or anything else you care to mention. If you're going to be an atheist, you better make an act of faith in that belief system. That's right. And if you compare the act of faith in Christianity and that in atheism, I think you'll find Mm -hmm. that the Christian Mm -hmm. is in much better has much better foundations, understands the human being better than the atheist and agnostic do. Yeah, it's the old fiduciary principle, huh, John, the, uh, given to us by Pollyani, where he says, every science um, entrusts itself to some act of trust, uh-huh. right? Every scientist is going to lean into a previous uh, journal or scientific experiment, or so on and so forth, where he's trusting in what that person has discovered, right? So there's going to be some act of trust. So you can't just remove this act of faith, which is trust, and with it to say, well, this is this is the sum total of our being. No, yeah. there's so much more going on here. Yeah. Uh, just a few little things about Pascal's life. His uh, younger sister, Jacqueline, died in the convent, and this, this hurt him. Uh, I think he uh, thought very highly of her. The last three years of his life was not in good health. I'm not sure what took him. Nobody really seems to have maybe cancer of some form combined with other things. And he spent the last three years living with his older sister and her husband, and he got sicker and sicker. Mm-hmm. And, but he still, got, he still got up and wrote, mm-hmm. and eventually he, he could do that no more. And uh, speaking of his writing, John, as I'm looking up the clock and we're running out of time, I want to touch upon one last thing. And, and he, he makes an interesting observation that we, do we see it today? He says, uh, man hates religion because, well, religion tells you to say no when you want to say yes or yes when you want to say no. And what we come to realize is, yeah, in light of uh, the person of Jesus Christ, we are made to see that behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. And he says, for that reason, we despise religion and we don't want to be called religious. I know there was a recent Gallup study done on you know, each state and how, uh, how much they identify themselves as quote-unquote religious. And uh, minus a few states in the South, um, the greater majority of each state finds themselves, well, not religious. 
Oh, but will they identify themselves, John, as spiritual? Interesting. Spiritual, but not religious. Why? Well, as long as we remove ourselves from what is objective, from what is quote-unquote religious, well, then, yeah, we're okay. We're spiritual because it's, it's up to me. As long as we remain in the person autonomous from a revealed truth, we're going to be okay. Now, my response to that would be the adoration of the Magi. Mm. Where does their joy come from? Yep. Right? They travel long distances. And did they arrive at something they thought they saw or what they really saw? There is no one more dramatic Greek, John, in all of the New Testament, in all of the New Testament, than when the Magi came upon what they saw in, dare I say, the cave, <laughs> the first caveman. The English renders rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What's going on there? You know, the Greek John is typically very economical, one, two, three, maybe four syllables. This particular Greek, 12, 13 syllables, mm. but one word, one kind of stock word, huh? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because they found the person of Jesus Christ who reveals to us at once, John, and this is so important, that if we're going to understand the subject, the person, then we must understand that there is something objectively revealed. The wise man came upon the person of Jesus Christ and God was incarnate. This objective truth was before them and they, what did Pascal say? Joy, 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 certainty, certainty, certainty. Yeah. It was his own kind of echo of the wise men. Interesting, yeah. I could only imagine that he rejoiced exceedingly with great joy mm -hmm. in that f night of fire. Yeah. Because why? He discovered that the God of the philosophers was, was not the God of the Bible, because the God of the Bible is concrete, it's real, it's before us. But it demands something from us, John. It demands a yes when so many of us want to say no. And Blaise Pascal would say, don't drown yourself in all this philosophy that would sap uh, the, the very essence and meaning of faith. No, understand that it's faith and reason that we can begin to discover and, and contemplate the meaning of truth. Right, yeah, I, I knew what he was talking about. I mean, here's a guy who... I don't know if he gets all the publicity he deserves, but when I take a look at what he did, and uh, you can, I mean, I, I don't know, buying the Ponsays is the best way to read him because you're reading a bunch of epigrams. Yeah. But uh, he has yeah. got, when you put it together, he is really, he's deep. Well, Pascal is quoted so much because of those epigrams. Right? Yes. <laughs> they're, uh -huh. they're more of a quotable kind of thing. And uh, in that, he has found popularity, but yeah, it's not something you sit down necessarily, and read like you would read a, a normal chapter yeah. book. Uh, anyhow, John, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.com.
www.ghostbusters.org. <laughs>